This is a Soul Fire production. Hi, this is Kimberly Kleiman Lee, executive coach, performance consultant, and host of the Do I Dare podcast. If you're a leader who wants to inspire, empower, and raise the leadership bar, then you have come to the right place, my friend. Here you will get access to powerful yet practical solutions that elevate your performance and dissolve roadblocks. Do you dare to lead in a way that moves the needle and scales the impact? Yeah? Then let's do it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Do I Dare podcast. This is Kimberly Kleiman Lee, your host. And again, so glad that you're joining me for yet another topic on leadership. As I mentioned several times before, I'm on this new morning routine kick, really inspired by the work of Hal Elrod and his Miracle Morning uh, book. I didn't think I would do an episode on visualization, but I got into a deep conversation with some girlfriends and at their encouragement, here I am. So girls, this one is for you. The reason I was a bit hesitant is because these practices are still rather new to me. Barely a year into visualization specifically, I don't consider myself to be an expert, but just a fellow human on the journey. So that said, I thought it might be helpful to share my experience with the hopes of um, helping you to build your experience. Each topic can be a bit heavy. So today's uh, episode is dedicated only to visualization. I'm going to save the affirmation conversation for a future podcast. Three of the most fascinating things I've ever learned about the human brain are one, the brain can't discern between something that is true or not true. It believes what it tells itself to believe. Now, you could believe something to be true and then find data or evidence to refute your initial belief, but nonetheless, you have to do the thought work to convince your brain of assigning judgment to that topic. If you're really into this kind of stuff, check out anything written by Eckhart Tolle or Byron Katie, and then go revisit your philosophy classes from undergrad. It was all there. I was just too young and inexperienced to leverage the learnings of those great philosophers at that time. The second most fascinating thing I ever learned about the human brain is that emotion precedes thought. Again, emotion comes first, comes before thought. Some of you may have heard the term lizard brain. It's, uh, in essence, the nickname for the limbic system. The limbic system, part of the brain, has historically been in charge of things like fight, flight, feeding, fear, freezing in place, lust. It's known as the seat of our emotion, kind of the rawest part of our human behavior. It's where things like addiction lives, mood swings can be found, and other mental or emotional processes splash around. It's considered very primitive, but quite frankly, I don't think we give it enough credit because indeed it rules most people's days, weeks, and sometimes lives. This is why most in the brain science field believe that emotion precedes thought. A feeling or a sensation starts in the body, and thoughts make meaning of that emotion, and emotion usually drives the behavior we choose to engage in. So if you've ever heard the phrase, think before you speak, I actually think it's more feel than think than speak. The third most fascinating thing is that our brains are hardwired with a negativity bias. And this is interesting because you'll oftentimes hear things like, are, do you consider the glass to be half full or half empty? Really alluding to, are you more of a positive person or a negative person? 
Well, science has shown us that our brains are hardwired to really focus on the negative, and that's actually on purpose. It was built to scan for and seek out potential dangers. So your brain was simply built with a greater sensitivity to unpleasant news. This amazing instrument that we have was meant to keep us all out of harm's way. You guys have all heard this story about the caveman who leaves the cave, encounters the saber-toothed tiger, instantly feels the need to run to safety. Well, we've evolved from those times, but our neurological construct, the neurological construct of our brain, has not. It still looks for danger first, and then peace and calm with evidence, assurance, and practice later. We see this all the time, right? We're in a performance review and we hear seven amazing things about our contributions to our company and one area for development and we walk away stewing about that constructive feedback. We're surrounded by a loving relationship, textbook standards, but the minute a blunt text message or a slight eye roll faces us, we begin to doubt the very foundation on which that relationship was built. We could have six amazing dreams and on the seventh night experience a nightmare. Guess which one is going to stay with us longer? So again, that foundational information is the thinking case for this concept of visualization. It's the ability to manage the brain for the desired outcome, especially when it comes to achieving our goals or ambitions. So let's get to some fundamental definitions before we dive in any further. I have always been fascinated by human behavior, and a few decades ago was introduced to a book called The Secret. Uh, Intrigued, again, with my obsession on human behavior, I read it, practiced some of the principles of it, and started to hear leadership gurus, air quotes, talking about it. I even made a vision board with a group of girlfriends over glasses of wine because of it. That said, I couldn't quite figure out how having a picture of a pile of money that I cut out from a magazine and pasted on a poster board and then hung in my workout room would make me rich. Now, much older and somewhat wiser, I realize that that truly is not how visualization works. Visualization should not be confused with the think it and you will be it advice that we're all getting these days. Uh, especially on the with the advent of the internet and access to so many folks willing to be so helpful and using this particular brain tool um, not as thoroughly as they potentially could be. It's not a gimmick. Uh, it doesn't involve dreaming or hoping for a better future, although, quite frankly, that might be why you start a visualization practice. Uh, before you can believe a goal, you must have an idea of what that goal looks like. That is true. You must see it before you can believe it. So with that regard, then, let's talk a little bit about visualization. Visualization is quite simply the formation of mental visual images. That's it. It's a technique for creating a mental image of a future event. It's the act of seeing the goal as it's already complete in your mind's eye. It's actually a core behavior of some of the most successful business leaders, artists, and athletes of our time. Visualization is effective because it harnesses the power of our subconscious mind. Now, this will take some explanation to to unpack a bit here. Remember that undergrad philosophy class that I mentioned earlier? Well, had I been paying attention at the time, 
I would have recalled that Aristotle was a major proponent of visualization techniques some, what, 2,000 years ago? He stated, first, have a definite, clear, practical idea, a goal, an objective in your mind. Second, he says, have the necessary means to achieve your ends, wisdom, money, materials, and methods. And third, he says, adjust all of your means to that end. That third piece was the part that was missing for me when I first dabbled in visualization via my vision board experiment. I was missing the dedication to the action, to the actual outcome. So I can't just look at a picture of something. I actually have to visualize myself participating in the act of making that happen. Visualization works because neurons in our brains, those electrically excitable cells that transmit information, interpret what they see as really happening. Again, they don't know the difference between fact or fiction. When we visualize an act, the brain generates an impulse that tells our neurons to perform the movement. This creates a new neural pathway. Cells literally band together in our brain to create memories or learn behaviors. This conditions our body to act in a way consistent to what we've imagined. So all of this occurs without actually performing the physical activity, yet it's been proven to help you achieve similar results. It's really quite fascinating when you think about it. This is why athletes like Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Tiger Woods, a number of the Olympic gymnasts have all shared stories for decades about how they, the use of visualization actually helped them fine-tune their game especially as you can imagine, knowing that to be the best sometimes is just based on one less golf stroke or a fraction of a second of speed or the mastering of a complicated move. Visualization helps with motivation, coordination, concentration. It helps people relax, reduces fear, anxiety, helps give them encouragement, and actually helps them see that all the way through to success. Again, really incredible, very powerful tool. So check out some of these examples. I mentioned athletes, of course, have used the power of visualization for uh, decades. Um, Here's a couple quotes that might interest you. This one by Pete Carroll. You guys might know him as the Seattle Seahawks coach. I think he's been there a little over 10 years. Um, My experience, he says, is that once you have done the work to create a clear vision, it is the discipline and effort to maintain that vision that can make it all come true. The two go hand in hand. The moment you've created the vision, you're on your way. But it's the diligence with which you stick to that vision that allows you to get there. Here's another one by Lindsay Vaughn, World Cup skier. I always visualize the run before I do it. By the time I get to the start gate, I've run that race a hundred times already in my head, picturing how I'll take the turns. And to prove that this just isn't a sports thing, Jay-Z, you guys might know him as a Grammy award-winning musician, and now he's in all sorts of business efforts. He says, I couldn't even think about wanting to be something else. I wouldn't let myself visualize any other life. Love that. And probably my favorite story comes from Jim Carrey. He's a, a comedian from the States. In the early 90s, he was just starting out. He was an unknown actor, kind of struggling to get by to make ends meet and so forth. And he was pretty frustrated, as one would get when they cannot achieve the goals of their dreams. 
So to stay motivated, I've seen him tell this story a number of times. If I can find the clip, I'll, I'll include it in the show, show notes. To stay motivated, he decided to write himself a check for $10 million. And in the note of the check, the lower left corner, he wrote, for acting services rendered, and he dated it for 1994. He carried this check in his wallet for daily inspiration. And in 1994, he learned that he would reap exactly $10 million for his role in Dumb and Dumber. Today, of course, uh, Jim Carrey is one of America's top movie stars, but he still talks about that fateful day when he decided to write that check. But then, of course, do the work that was necessary to get him to that $10 million. I can't stress that enough. This isn't just about a gimmick or iconography and so forth. Yes, that helps keep things top of mind, but you have to have a plan. Hope is not a strategy. Hope is not a plan. The goal is to really get some specifics down uh, to get you all the way there. I've even worked with IT professionals who've used the concept um, called data visualization. For them, it's about telling a story. Um, It helps them remove the noise from the data, and it highlights only the useful information about how the data should be used or could be used. Again, this concept of visualization brings it to life in a way that makes meaning. So as you can imagine, let's switch gears here a little bit. There are several different types of visualization, hundreds of different techniques or activities to try. I'm going to outline just a few and offer a couple examples uh, to get you started. And of course, I'll put a bunch of resources in the show notes for those of you who'd like to continue uh, on this, um, this journey or this experiment with me. I would personally recommend using a combination of activities, approaches, techniques, and so forth until you find either a rhythm or just a technique that works well for you. Again, that's what worked for me, but I wouldn't have gotten to the place that I am without trying a few on for size. So let's let's take it from a standpoint of uh, categories. There are a couple different types of visualization I'll introduce you to here. Again, always uh, learn more on your own. The first is outcome visualization. It's probably the most popular. I'd say it's the one that we probably hear about in the popular press and so forth. It involves envisioning yourself achieving your goal. So it involves crossing a finish line, uh, finishing a big project, uh, landing the job of your dreams, um, purchasing the you know car of your dreams, meeting the person of your dreams, all of those sorts of things. So the goal here is to create a detailed mental image of that desired outcome using all of your senses. And again, you'll probably notice that that's going to be a theme for most visualization practices. Your senses getting involved helps solidify that vision um, in your mind. It it almost makes it a memory. It's again, so powerful. The, The brain, again, can't say it enough, cannot discern between fact and fiction. Second type of visualization is called process visualization. This I find to be the most uh, powerful for me. I hope you find it to be the same, but again, try it on for size. This type of visualization involves um, envisioning each of the actions necessary to achieve the outcome you want. So this is almost the step sequence, the true plan, the, the process, the progress you want to see. Having all of that built up in your mind And then going over and over and over it again, not only until you start doing those things, but until they start feeling super natural in your routine. 
So it's where you focus on completing each of the steps you need to achieve your goal, but not necessarily the overall goal itself. So yes, the finish line is important, but this is where you're going to envision yourself putting on your socks, tying your shoes, walking to your front door, switching the lever to open the door, having your feet hit the pavement. You're going to be envisioning the path that you're going to be taking during your your run or your walk. Those sorts of things become the details by which you learn to live your life and the mental picture you choose to run through your mind over and over and over again until eventually this becomes second nature to you. There are a couple of different ways that you can unfold this process visualization techniques that I just described. One, similar to the uh, example I gave, is called picture and describe. The more details you have in a visualization, the more it will seem real to your brain. The more neural pathway connections will be built in your brain, thus confirming that the action is indeed not only possible, but it's real. Um, at least it's real to your brain. This is the result of repeating the visual image that I mentioned earlier. You keep your desires to complete this goal top of mind when you do this, and you increase the likelihood that you'll actually achieve your goal as designed in your brain. There's something pretty fascinating um, about this concept, right? That even though you haven't yet done or achieved the thing, your brain thinks it has. Therefore, your ability to, to strive for it is all the more um, real to you. So there have been some really cool studies on uh, this stuff. For example, uh, there was a study done by which subjects were asked to think about and then eventually describe their favorite food. They were asked to describe it in all of its delicious detail. Then the researchers during this process would study all of the physiological changes that were happening to that subject's body as they went about telling the story. So they found that the salivatory glands just um, went crazy. They were salivating. Their heart rate increased as they were describing their favorite uh, treat. They started to have more rapid speech, all of those sorts of things because they were describing something that they really didn't even have in front of them or in their mouth at the time. Their hypothesis was that the more detail that was given from their subjects about their favorite food, the more likely they were probably going to make an effort or attempt to get that food shortly after the trial wrapped up. And indeed, the post-survey results showed that a high percentage of those studied did go out and actually get and eat the very treat that they were describing during that study. So be it ice cream, cake, a steak dinner, et cetera, et cetera. With this type of visualization, your brain's natural problem-solving process just kicks in. It, the brain will help you develop a plan for how to obtain what you want. It might start to help you think about the tools or equipment, the path you'll need to take, the resources you will need to get there, all in the effort of supporting the goal you are visualizing. You'll start to think about the time of day, what the weather might uh, be like, what you might look like when you're uh, actually obtaining that goal, how you might feel, who might be with you, and so forth. The best way to create detail and enhance the quality of your simulation is to picture and describe it using all of your senses. And the detail at which you're, you're able to successfully do that, the more committed your brain gets to actually helping you achieve that goal. So the more you keep adding in the detail until the process starts, the more real your brain actually thinks it is. Again, I can't stress that enough. 
There are two more types that I'm going to share with you, all in that whole process visualization category, I suppose. The next one is emotional intensity. Um, you can probably assume that this might come along with most visualization techniques, uh, but this one is pretty specific. As I mentioned earlier, cognitive therapy purports that emotion is preceded by thought. Again, this just means that when you that when you feel something deeply, um, you have achieved a level of belief associated with it. So you generally don't feel upset by something that you know is absolutely untrue or unreal. That's probably why we can watch gory horror movies without really getting overly traumatized about it. However, the more real or true you believe something to be, the more emotional impact it has on you. So to really enhance a simulation, you want to create as much emotional detail around the thing you want to visualize as possible. Again, you want to begin to feel as if the experience is real, the joy of crossing a a finish line, the joy of having birthing a baby, the joy of announcing this new job or role uh, to your spouse, um, the joy of retirement, the joy of a vacation, those sorts of things. What kind of emotion could you conjure up about that during your visualization practice? And lastly, exposure visualization is a a little different uh, in that it helps you to create visuals through learning. I'll I'll just put it in that category. And again, I'm a a voracious learner. I will take it in from anywhere I can get it. And I'll give you an example of that in just a second. So exposure visualization is where you'll read about it and start to add that to your visualization process. You'll watch something, a YouTube video, a movie, um, a clip that will give you even more imagery around the thing you want to visualize. You'll learn more about it. You'll talk to people. You'll hear their stories. You'll tune into broadcasts or podcasts about it. And of course, you'll experience it. You'll go to the place that your race will take place. You will visit the hospital birthing room of where you might be giving birth. You will visit a venue that you're going to be giving a a big presentation at, stand up on the stage and play with the microphone and so forth, just to start to visualize what it might be like when you're actually doing it. So incidentally, this is why asking somebody to change their behavior is a useless exercise. And this is kind of coaching 101. When people say, well, stop thinking about it if it bothers you so much. Or if they'll say, well, why don't you just do it? Just stop smoking. Or um, uh, especially for when addiction is a clear part of it, it's hard for some people to understand, well, why don't you just stop? Well, there's a whole bunch of sensory things that go on not to mention the actual physiological addiction that happens, the chemistry that happens uh, with an addiction um, that one might overcome. So they have to overcome their thoughts in order to really break through and change their behaviors. So uh, in this case, it's the challenge that I love the most about being a coach or a performance strategist. It's helping people realize the power to overcome a bad habit or a difficult obstacle or a poor choice in behavior is quite frankly all in our heads. So there's some great resources out there on this stuff. I'm going to link a few things in the show notes, but here are a few of my favorites. Mark Brackett, who's a professor, I think he's out of Harvard, has done some really phenomenal work in this area. He has a newer book out just the last year called Permission to Feel. 
Um, and this is all in the whole EQ category. He created an acronym that's now a methodology that's quite, that's used in um, school systems all around the globe. His methodology is called RULER. It's to help people recognize, understand, label, express, and regulate uh, their emotions. And visualization is a key component on how he gets people to actually go through this process. Byron Katie, as I mentioned before, is probably one of the you know the the early adopters and and communicators about this concept of visualization and really understanding the power that thought work will have on the brain. She's known for this phrase of "Is it true? Is it really too true? How do I know it to be true?" So she again, in all of her great work, has helped transform the way people think their thoughts. And then most recently, for those of you who are interested in this, um, I watched a video, uh, kind of a docu, docu-series, I guess, on Prime Video called Heal. And it was a great um, segment on how thoughts can actually contribute to wellness. Uh, and again, always use caution, work with your doctors before uh, only looking to some of these alternative methods of healing. But uh, I just thought the the message and the techniques and the information was so powerful that you might get something from it as well. Again, it's called Heal. I think I saw it on Amazon Prime. I'll link to it in the show notes for those of you who have interest. So to wrap this podcast, I'd be remiss if I didn't touch on the process I use for my own visualization, maybe just to give you a couple examples. Again, I'm not an expert. I can't stress that enough. Only a practitioner. And uh, you're welcome to know what I've done and and uh, uh, the information I have, at least thus far. So my visualization practice tends to be very specific. I do make it a part of my morning routine, as I've mentioned a couple times. Spend five, ten minutes focused on something very, very specific, either something I want to accomplish, a way I want to be, preparation for a situation I have coming up. It really just depends on what I have top of mind at the time. Try to plan that out a bit, and I can always tell if it's something that I'm stewing on, um, that that will probably be the thing that I focus on in my visualization practice. I tend to be very outcomes-focused. Again, that's the part of the visualization that I like. Instead of just having a clip from a magazine pasted to a board, I actually walk through all of the detailed steps I think I can conjure to get me to the end, and then I will do that several times over and over and over until it becomes just a natural part of my thought process. So in this case, for example, some of you might have read the triathlon blog series I did a couple of years ago. When my cancer treatment wrapped up, um, I had breast cancer. It was small, early, but nonetheless, um, the process of going through it was just as, as powerful, I suppose, as if it was a different type of cancer. When my treatment wrapped up, I was just in a funk and needed to snap snap out of it. And I don't use that phrase lightly. For me, I just needed to get better, to heal, to feel more like myself. And for me at the time, it felt like I needed to do something to switch my brain to feel again like myself. So my oncologist, um, who got to know me really well, um, pulled out this pamphlet on my final day of treatment and said, hey, I, I think I want you to try this. And I read the title and it, it, the first word that caught my eye was triathlon, <laughs> chuckled, asked if he knew me at all, and then listened to what he had to say. Um, in this case, he was introducing me to a program that our local hospital here, big shout out to Advocate Aurora Healthcare, 
has called Team Phoenix. It's a we're a group of amazing physicians led by Leslie Woltke take 60 female cancer survivors through a 12-week training program. And that final day of the program is spent competing in an actual sprint triathlon. Now, for those who've read the blogs and or know me, this is extremely out of character for me. I have never considered myself an athlete. I was more of a student council drama kid type in high school. Even now, I would much rather run my mouth than my legs. But I never shy away from a challenge or a dare, and this had to be done. The sprint triathlon I was participating in consisted of running a 5K, it's like 3.1 miles. We had to bike 15 miles and we had to swim a fourth of a mile. Now, I was absolutely sure I could bike it. I was rather confident I could run, walk it, and I was pretty sure I could swim it until I tried to swim it. It was a massive disaster. For all the gory hilarity involving nose plugs, pink foam noodles, mermaids, and bass, Check out that blog post. I thought I knew how to swim, but it turns out I only knew how to float and tan. I was starting from the beginning, which I would have never guessed when I decided to sign up for this daunting task. I could barely get across our training pool one lap. And then I was told that 18 laps would actually be the equivalent required on race day. So my head um, started spinning. I was visualizing everything negative which, yes, included drowning in emergency vehicles. All the things, all the things were going through my head at the time. I was comparing my lack of skill to those who were extraordinarily skilled at swimming. Again, those thoughts and images did not serve me well for this task, so I needed to change things. And with the help of the coaches, I created a new story in my mind about what needed to be done and how I would do it. So I started incorporating visualization techniques, um, many of which I mentioned earlier. I imagined myself at the beach, swimming the route with my teammates and high-fiving the coaches when I exited the water. I would envision the process of getting ready for the first leg of the triathlon, which happened to be the swim component. I would think about my gear, the distance between my gear and the water. I would repeat simple affirmations in my head, again, more on affirmations in a different podcast, But all of this was helping me to create a new story in my mind about what was possible. I leveraged uh, the exposure technique. I um, tried to learn as much about swimming as I could. I watched YouTube videos. I talked to people who had participated in this very triathlon before I was about to do it. I read about it. I had a swimming mantra that my coach had recommended that helped me pay attention to my form and helped me preserve my stamina. The emotional visualization was probably the most difficult for me, to be fully honest. We had been practicing in a college pool for 12 weeks. And the three weeks prior to the event day, we started practicing in lakes. Um, And that, of course, was going to be the environment for the actual triathlon. This was a whole new experience for me. I am a city gal. My senses were on high alert. The moment I approached the lake, I knew I would have to change what I was seeing because now my visualization techniques were working against me. In my head, I had originally had a clean pool with straight lines and everyone taking turns, and that's how the triathlon would play out. Uh, But the lake was, well, it was a lake. It didn't look the way I thought it would look. It didn't smell the way I expected it to smell or feel like a clean pool. The route was U-shaped. It wasn't even a straight line, and it had very few markings. 
And I was not necessarily a uh, efficient swimmer. So again, I knew all of this would be something I'd have to reorient myself to. And I was told and eventually experienced myself that the starting line is not neat and orderly. It's actually total chaos. You're pushed and kicked unintentionally by ambitious athletes who wanted to start and uh, head out with a bang. So the final three weeks before the race, I had to change my visualization. Oddly enough, the component I had the hardest time getting comfortable with was the feel of the lake. At the start, we were standing in seaweed and I did not like it. We'd have to spend quite a bit of time there before the gun went off. So my teammate, seeing and knowing how much I struggled with this, would whisper in my ear, just think of it as salad. You are stepping on salad. And after a while, that's literally what I had in my head. I had me stepping on romaine lettuce for the duration of the three weeks that we um, we practiced in the lake as opposed to the pool. All of that thinking helped me to get through one of the most challenging parts of that race and on to the remaining two parts that I knew I would enjoy much more. I've also used visualization in simpler ways. If I'm anxious about a presentation, I will take a few minutes before the presentation to think through my opening line. How do I want people to feel during the presentation? How can I engage them? How might um, I respond to questions? What if I'm put on the spot? How will the presentation end? Uh, before a difficult coaching conversation, I will visualize my relationship with that client and how it might look to come from a place of, of love or service, especially to have them feel that way as they're on the phone or sitting across from me. On an earlier episode of uh, the Do I Dare podcast, I introduced you to a technique that a colleague of mine, Greg Thompson, shared with me. I was entering a difficult coaching conversation, and his coaching to me was spend 10 minutes before that really tough, anticipated, tough conversation doing nothing more than falling in love with that person. And what he meant by that, in essence, was see that person as his parents saw him the moment he was born. See that person as his wife saw him on their wedding day, or as his toddler children see him when he walks in at the end of a really long day. So see him differently than as a problem to be fixed, which is how I got myself all wrapped around a, a post that 15 years ago when I first learned that technique. And it worked. I reinvented the way I saw that client, and then as such, could be so much better in my role as coach to him. So there are all sorts of visualization techniques. Again, I'm going to put some resources to help you, but I would love to hear if you do this practice, when you do it, how you do it, what's worked for you. We're all just trying to figure it out here. So the more we stick together and share our ways, I think the stronger we can each be. Stay tuned for more on the Do I Dare podcast, for more leadership techniques more practical principles, and more strategies to enhance your performance. Until then, bye for now. Thanks again for listening to the Do I Dare podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share. And we'd love to hear from you. DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn. Share a topic of interest or a struggle that's top of mind for you. We'll give you a shout out on a future podcast. And for more information about Do I Dare and all things leadership, visit KimberlyKlimanLee.com, sign up for our weekly newsletter, and stay tuned for exclusive content access 
to the tools and resources you need to lead. 